Welcome to Deep Matter. I've recently dipped my toes into the world of synthesizers, something that I've been interested in for years, but never really pursued. In this episode, Sean and I talk about the importance of pursuing creative interests that are outside of your main quote-unquote pursuits for no other purpose but to, as he puts it, always be a beginner at something. We also talk about Tinker Toys, a band called Snarky Puppy, what a good guy Jason Momoa seems to be, and a whole lot more. Here we go. I think it's quite interesting that you're getting into music as, as is it fair to say, a non-musician? But this one little, oh, this one little absolutely device, a non-musician. But, but this one little device is unlocking not just like you creating things. So I'm, I'll get you into it. I'll get you into it. Okay. Yeah, sure. So tell me about your um, your micro freak and what it's doing for you. It's a rabbit hole. It's, I think it's quite interesting that you're getting into music as, as is, is it fair to say, a non-musician? <laughs> absolutely a non-musician. But, but this one little device is unlocking not just like you creating things. Well, tell me what it, tell, tell what it is first, because some people won't know what it is. I think it's an amazing Okay, so it, it, the micro freak is this, is this little synth by Arturia that is, it's, it's digital, but it's analog and it, it's got a keyboard, but it's not a traditional keyboard. It's like a capacitive touch keyboard. So it doesn't have proper keys on it. And it, it records uh, velocity based on how much of the pad of your finger is in contact with the capacitive surface. And yeah, then there's aftertouch. You can slide and kind of bend notes a bit, can't you? With yes, like, yeah, so it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. People might know the C board. It's very similar to the C board vibe, where you can similar to the C board. Or if you have ever seen um, an app called Animoog from the Moog company, mm. um, it, it's that kind of a of a thing. And it's got a sequencer built in, and it's got an arpeggiator built in, and it's it's got you know it, it's just this phenomenal little device. There are three hundred and something sound banks, completely customizable. They've just released a version four firmware update that has more sounds and more wavetables, and it, it's phenomenal little device. That's that's sort of the latest iteration. It started with a guy named Omri Cohen uh, and a piece of software called VCV Rack. Because I, I love the look of these big modular synthesizers, like the the, the ones that like Zimmer has, and mm-hmm. and Martin Gore has one, and and uh, a Junkie XL has them. Like these, just these walls of these analog modules for making sounds, but they're thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, which I don't have to spend on sound modules, nor would I know what to do with them, even if I did. So VCV Rack is is a software version of an analog Eurorack system. And there are thousands and thousands of modules that are mostly free. So that's, that was kind of my entry point into um, doing this sort of droney, ambient, you know, I've always been a fan of that kind of music. I love, you know, like Harold Budd and, and you know, Tangerine Dream and you know, all sorts of, of bands and artists that I, that I really, you know, resonate with. Um, and I have no illusions whatsoever that I'm going to do anything substantial with this. I just really enjoy it. I've been a fan of synths since I was in high school. Um, you know, I've told you the story about, you know, begging my mother for a profit five when we would mm-hmm. uh, drag her to the music store. And, you know, we didn't have $5,000 to spend on a synthesizer. And even if we did, she wouldn't spend $5,000 on a synthesizer. 
uh, by three cars instead. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, 80, $1980, $81, that was a lot, a lot of money. Uh, still a lot of money. And so, I, you know, I've, I've slowly been just sort of playing and plunking around. And, and uh, I was just, uh, for those of you listening, I was just telling Sean, I, I found this other person uh, who goes by the name Paper Tape. Uh, on the new Arturia newsletter, Arturia being the company that makes the micro freak and they profile him and, and some of the work that he's done for various clients. And I was sharing it with Sean because he's, he's got these, this incredible library of, of instruments. And at the core of, of his setup is this micro freak. Uh, he also plays violin and plays piano and, you know, does a variety of other things, but it's funny how this little, you know, sub $400 synth is turning up in all sorts of other people's project and, and is really considered a serious music making tool. It's not, you know, a little Casio, you know, that kind of keyboard. It's a, it's a serious tool and it's very highly regarded and, and I'm having a great time playing with it. And so I, I've just been kind of sharing some of this stuff with Sean, because as, as you know, if you've listened to any of these you know, Sean's got this whole other life as a musician. <laughs> that's putting that's putting it very kindly. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that too kind? Is that yeah, too no, generous? No, I mean, um, I did some work in studio with with MJ back in the day, and you know, yeah, that's, right. <laughs> that's what it sounds like. It's like yeah, that was me every time. When you Michael. hear that, that was Sean. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, <laughs> Mike would give me a swift kick, and I'd <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's and all of this is just. You know, and, and we've talked about this a, a number of times, not necessarily this, this topic, although yes, that too, but the idea of, of just doing something for fun, for play in the same way that you've done, uh, you've started doing line and wash, yeah. not because you have the, the desire to become a, a, a line and wash artist or monetize it or, you know, make that your, your forte, but it is incredibly valuable, I think, as makers of anything to engage in making something else that is not the thing that you are trying to really focus on making. Is that fair? Yeah. I mean, the, the way I say it is like, I, I always want to make sure that I'm doing something where I'm a beginner all the time, because mm -hmm. it, there's something really exciting about being a beginner in something. Um, Isn't there though? I love there it. It really is. Yeah, there really is. I can't, I, I wish I could remember because there's, there's a Billie Eilish song that's out at the moment. There's one line in that and I cannot remember it, but it's, it's on this topic that says something about, um, you know, what was yesterday was, was my passion today became my job kind of vibe. And I mm -hmm. think you, to, to make sure that that doesn't happen, you either have to find avenues for the thing that you do that doesn't mean you pay the bills. It's just for fun. Or you need to find a whole another thing where you're only a beginner and no one will want to pay you for that, but you just really enjoy it. And I think that's yeah. so important to have. Yeah. Um, always, I think that's music for me. Yeah, I, I do. Like, do you have ideas about maybe in the long term how you'd want to use it? Like for your own? You know, in a perfect world, <laughs> if, if talent, time and, uh, you know, uh, uh, inspiration were no object, um, you know, I, I would love to do that sort of radio labby, you know, uh, yeah. serial uh, ambient underbed to some of the shows that I do. Yeah. Um, I think the stuff that I'm kind of playing around with is in that very sort of ambient drone -y, yeah. partially because it is, 
it's easier for me to wrap my head around making something like that because it's almost more about the sound. Yeah. You know, it, it, I would love to learn a few chords. I would love to learn, you know, where the notes are on, on the keyboard and, and, you know, but as it is right now, I just play the white notes because they sound pretty good together. Yeah. You know, so I have no illusion about my, uh, my own ability, but uh, nor do I think that every show that I do would be complemented by that kind of music. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know what, I, I'm not even thinking about that at the moment because I just want to keep it in the realm of play. I just want to keep it in the realm of this is really fun. I don't have to know where it's going. I just really enjoy doing it. But I, I think there's something really, there's something really lovely and almost pure about that because it is like you don't know any of the technical stuff, nor do you want to. It's just you going, if I press this with VCV rack set up this particular way, it makes this sound. And then if I hit that one, it makes that sound and those two together sound cool. It is, it's that simple. That's all it is. And I, yeah. I kind of love that. I think it's really, really cool. And you could go and learn technical stuff as you go if you're interested, but that on its own. And, and look, I mean, there are, there are super untechnical photographers that take incredible images. There are, there are super untechnical people in every field that manage to do amazing stuff just intuitively. It's not, it's not a better or worse way to do stuff. And, and, and just having it as a fun thing, I think that's lovely, man. It's really cool. Yeah, thanks. I, I almost love the idea of not learning what, what yeah. the right quote unquote yeah. way is. You know, I, I, I go back to some of the interviews with David Carson where he talks about, you know, not knowing the rules. People, people talk to him like, well, you know, you're breaking so many rules. You're breaking these rules of graphic design and blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, you know, I, I, I never knew the rules. So to me, I wasn't breaking them. I was just doing what I thought looked cool. And I kind of want to take that approach with this. I don't, I don't want to necessarily at this point anyway, learn to do it the right way, quote unquote. I just want to keep plunking around and seeing what this knob does. And, and well, what happens if I if I change the VCO on this and put it like, I, I don't even know these terms really, but yeah. I'm learning them and I'm seeing where they fit in on the backs of, of watching other people. And that is so incredibly satisfying to not have to go, well, I have to get really good at this because if I'm not really good at it, then I can only charge this or I can't charge anything until I get to this. I don't have to worry about any of that. It's no. just fun. That's great. I mean, it's, it's like, um, there was an interview with John Mayer where he was sort of talking about some of the songs and he had a guitar with him and he started playing a couple of riffs and he's like, then he suddenly looks down and he tries to explain what he's just played because he's, he's sort of slightly in teaching mode. He's going, oh, that's kind of an, an A something. And then this is, and then he just loses. He's like, I don't actually know what that, he says something like, you know what? I don't, I don't even know what I'm playing. It's all just shape and color now. And I'm like, yeah. I love that. That's how intuitive yeah. it is. He knows if he makes that shape with his hand, it makes that sound. He probably does. I mean, he probably does know a lot of the technical stuff, but at that point he's not playing out of that space. He's playing out of, if, if it feels this way with my hand, it sounds this way. And, and it's, it's so like body intuitive at that point. I mean, I, I yeah. mean, when I play music, I can't read sheet music. I have no idea what I'm mm. doing, which is why I'd be very reluctant to call myself a musician. I mean, it was all kind of chord stuff and by ear when I played anyway, um, and the, the best bands I ever played with, there was, there was never a sheet of music. They couldn't read music either, but these kind of yeah. like these African churches, that's not how you play. You don't play 
you don't pull sheet music out and work out how to put everything exactly in time and make sure right. it's, it's if, very, if I put a G fine. here, then I can't go to an A cause that's not acceptable. You've have, you have to go to a whatever. But I, I'd often say, oh, what, what's that chord you just played? And some be like, I have no idea. You'll have to look at my fingers and I'd have to go over and go, okay, that, 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 that. They didn't know. And they didn't care. It was so, it was so like, it just flowed out. And I, I love yeah. that. I love that. I love that art can be that as well as, as the technical. And that's, that's, I think where, where technical people like to look down on stuff like that and go, yeah, but you're not doing it properly. Who, who gives a damn? Like he, yeah. they're, they're playing something that to me sounds incredible. Do you really care how they get there? It's, it's our obsession with, well, yeah, but you, you use the wrong shutter speed on that. Do, I don't care. Is it perfectly in focus? I don't really care. Do I like the image? Is it good? It's, it's, it's all that kind of, for me, I, I just get there and whatever your part of getting there is, that's amazing. And especially when you're starting out, like don't, don't, don't obsess too quickly about the right or wrong way to do something. Cause you'll, you'll choke the life out of it. I think. Well, yeah, it does. It, it, it removes, it removes any sort of joy of discovery. Yeah. You know, there's, um, one of the, this guy paper tape that I was telling you about one of the machines that he uses is, um, Oh man, what is it called? It's like a, a Soma Lyra 8 is what it's called. A Soma Lyra 8. So if you look at these things on eBay, they only have eight notes. That's it. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, they're specifically designed for making these sort of drone ambient pad kind of sounds. Oh, cool. And he does this live performance just recording to a reel to reel tape and he's got a reverb on it. And it's just, it is so mesmerizing and he's just doing this live thing. Just, just, you know, bouncing between these eight notes. Yeah. And I just, I connect to that so deeply and I, and I I go, I want to do that. You know, do I want to spend $800 so I can do that? Maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe <laughs> kind of oh, looks like a mixing um, desk almost. I'm looking at it now. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. And you know, there, there are little switches and knobs that I have no idea what they do. Um, but I, I look at that and I look at it in, I look at it in the same way that I looked at the micro freak when I first was, was kind of thinking about getting a synth. I was looking at, you know, I had, you and I had conversations about different synths Yeah, and there was something about this little thing with knobs and the dials and the tactility of it. It wasn't navigating menus and, and you have to, you don't need to plug it into a computer to use it. You, you yeah. pl- plug in a pair of headphones, either plug it in via USB or use the included power brick and you're off to the races. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that sort of tactility of just playing and, and seeing what happens when I turn this dial or what happens when I flip this switch or what happens when I when I combine these two things and then try and sequence it and then add some reverb on top of that and a delay on top of that, what happens then? Yeah. Man, is that fun. And, and again, I think it's the same thing with that you're experiencing with your line and wash where, yeah. well, what happens if I use too much water? Well, what happens if I don't use enough water? What if I combine this and this, I don't let that part dry quite completely. And then I add another little thing here. What happens there? Everything is discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, you know, we get to a point in our adulthood that we don't allow ourselves to experience that anymore because everything becomes results driven. Yeah, exactly. You know, do do you remember, see, you're, 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 I think you're old enough to remember this. 
when when Lego Thanks Dad just go on hit me. When when Lego used to just be different size blocks of color. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And you just made stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the worst things to ever happen to Lego and by extension sort of childhood creativity was when Lego decided to release specific sets. Yeah, you can yeah. build this thing, right? It comes with all the pieces necessary to build this. Well, what if mine doesn't look like the one on the box? Now mm-hmm. I've failed at making this thing. You took creativity and you made it objective based yep. instead of just free play. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, isn't it? It's, it's like almost telling you how to do it. Yes. Instead of going, and if, and if your, you know, spaceship doesn't look like the spaceship on the box, then what's wrong with you? Cause you didn't get the right spaceship, you know, or your, your fire engine. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is, you know, whereas like some of the, some of the favorite things that I had when I was a kid was, you know, we had like Adrian and I were talking about it the other day, she was looking through one of the thrift store sites and she says, you know, she says, Hey, did you ever have tinker toys as a kid? And I'm like, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. you know, everybody did, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it, one of the beautiful things about tinker toys, and if you've never seen them they're they're it's a wooden play set and they've got these little, these little round wooden hubs that have holes all around them. And then there are, uh, there are little colored rods that fit into the holes and you just connect them and make shapes. And one of the things that I, I still kind of love about the idea of that was you can make a building in quotes. It doesn't look like a building. It looks like vaguely box shaped, or you can make a, an airplane that's vaguely airplane shaped, but the completedness of that object exists in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not dependent on looking exactly like the real world equivalent of the object. You're allowing yourself to to take some creative license and and go, look, you know, look at my car that I made. Well, you know, somebody might come along and go, that's not what a car looks like. Yeah. Well, it is in my mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that's that's something that we lose too early on, especially now where where, gosh, you know, even in, in school from a very early age, it is, it is so performance driven. Oh yeah. You know, you gotta, you gotta get into a good middle school. Cause if you don't, if you don't do well in middle school, then you're not going to do well in high school. And if you don't do well in high school, then you're not going to do well in college. And if you don't do well in college, you're not going to do well in life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like all of this pressure yeah. to, to get results and, and be a certain way and achieve these certain things. And man, I just, no wonder we're medicated and depressed and unhappy and anxious and, and looking at our phones all the time for this little dopamine blast because our real lives have become so monotonous with, yeah. with getting results. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was kind of a rant. Sorry about that. No, I love it. It's, it's, you're <sighs> absolutely right. Yeah. Which is why it was just, I think it's even in adulthood, like you, you can reclaim that. Just always make sure you're beginning something. Um, yeah, to, to, because it doesn't matter what stage of life you do it. It's just, cause I think it hits different parts of your brain that as well. I mean, following, like you say, following a manual to put together a predetermined set of Lego is, is I think activating very different parts of your brain to here's a bunch of bricks, come up with something. It teaches you how yeah. to make from your imagination and from scratch rather than just follow a checklist. 
um, which is what you're doing with music. And I, and I love that. I, I really love that. You know, I was the guy when, when I first got into, I mean, I, I was one of those kids sort of nine years old, sent to boarding school and had, I had to go to piano lessons because my mom told me I had to go to piano lessons. So, but I never <laughs> This connected. is what little boys do, Sean. Yeah, don't, fair, don't question it. But I never connected with, with, you know, my ability to not read music is all my own fault. It's not that people mm. didn't try and teach me that. I sat in piano lessons for two or three years, but I cheat that the, the teacher would pull up the, the sheet music and put it on the, the piano and he'd go, okay, well, we're going to learn this piece, this piece. And I exactly the same trick every time I go, could you just play it for me so I can hear what it's going to sound like? And I would just listen super, super closely. Um, and then I go away and I teach myself that piece from what I remembered that he played instead of being able to read it off the page. And he catches me every time because every time I go back to <laughs> really, him, yeah, because every time I go back and play what I've been working on, he's like, you're not looking at the music, you're looking at your hands. So he knew, he knew oh, I wasn't, he knew I wasn't reading it. And it's just, interesting. I, I, it's just how I learn. I, I, I don't, I think different people connect with different things. I'd love to be able to read music. I think it'd be amazing. And I, I know I was definitely a much more limited musician in terms of what I could play, but I got a lot more joy out of it for just doing it the way I did it, even though I would never be anything great. I, I, I loved it. I loved, I loved how freeform it was. And I love being able to play with people who thought about it similar to me. And, and, and we did just kind of let things roll. I mean, it was, it was that way a lot in the church anyway, because that's how, church musicians genuinely generally play anyway there is no there's no structure to a song it has pieces and you, mm -hmm. you move between those pieces depending on on what's happening with the crowd on any given night you don't you don't stick to a formula ever um, a song right. could last two minutes or it could last 15 you don't know so you have to be able to move in and out with each other like that which is um yeah, I just it sounds I almost like that. jazz improvisation. It is a little bit, although you know we we, we would definitely no no jazz improvisers. It, it was within a particular limited structure. I I mean I played with some really good musicians. I was never an amazing musician, but the average sort of quality of musician in most of the churches I played it was way below actual musicians you get at gigs to listen to. But there was a version of it. You know, there was a version of of feeling things out as we went that was very. Um, I talk about it a little bit in the book, actually, that, that what I would do, because I'd, I'd lead bands, um, and the way I'd do it is we would, we would practice new songs that we were going to throw into a repertoire, but we practice them in sections. So we'd make sure that we understood how, what a verse sounded like, what a chorus sounded like, what a bridge or an interlude sounded like, or a solo sounded like on any particular song. And we practice how to transition between any of those sections in any combination. And then I'd have a series of hand signals that I'd use. So, um, like a little V behind my back would be a verse, a C would be a chorus with my hand, closed fist would be to bring a song to a close, um, a tapping finger would be a build, like a flat hand would be a breakdown, uh, pointing to somebody would be a solo. So it'd be a bunch of this kind of stuff. And I'd be giving signals behind my hand while I'm playing as well to, to tell the band where we were going. And we know how to move in that direction because we, we, we'd rehearsed it, but it had to be that free form because every gig you'd have to feel it out completely. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I, I love that. I loved how, I love how free that felt, um, as musicians. And I, again, like I, I use that word lightly, I'm not suggesting I was any great musician, but playing like that, there's a real joy in it. Um, and right. a real kind of, you have to have an intuition together as a band, if you play like that as well, because sometimes I'd forget to signal, but we all knew anyway, you could feel it in the room. You knew what needed to happen next. And we'd all just move 
in that direction, which was amazing. Like that, that, that I do miss. That was really cool. How does it translate into the type of music that you like listening to? I mean, do you find yourself liking, um, sort of the jam band vibe of like fish or, or Umphreys McGee or, you know, the dead or something like that, where it really is just kind of feeling your way through these really long compositions. And and many of them, maybe even unscripted, they just kind of vibe off of one another for bars and bars at a time. Yeah. I've definitely got that in my, in my like things I like, like, I mean, for me, whether, whether, you know, I mean, he's easy to hate, but I absolutely love Dave Matthews band. I think they are one of the tightest bands out there playing. Yeah, they're terrific live too. Yeah. Well that, I mean, that's the only way I listen to them is live performances. I'll look at live performances on YouTube. And when they do songs like, like 41 or whatever, which will be like, they'll, it'll be 12 minutes minimum. You know, I, I know they know kind of where they're going, but you also know that when they start moving into solo sections with different instrumentalists, I love watching like the surprise and joy on the other band members face when that band member does something amazing that they didn't see right. coming because it wasn't, that they didn't do the night before. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. they're improvising. They're genuinely like, I'm going to mess like Carter Beaufort is going to mess with this drum solo. And the, the joy on Dave Matthews face when he does something he hasn't heard before, like he is an audience member in that moment. You know, mm-hmm. we're all watching Carter and like, I love that. I love when bands do that. They're like, go for it. You just go for it. Like we, we have practice, we know what we're doing, but this is going to be cool. Or, or a band like, have you seen, um, gosh, I think it's, uh, oh, it's, it's Lingus by uh, Snarky Puppy. Have you seen, have you seen? I, I have never heard of Oh that. my gosh, dude. Oh, this is a there's a band time. called Snarky Puppy. Oh my gosh, there's a band called Snarky Puppy. So, so why do a, I not know this? Snarky Puppy. Yeah. So, so there's a, a keyboard player, amazing, amazing musician named Corey Henry, who is that, who does his own stuff as well. Um, but he's the keyboard player for Snarky Puppy. And there's, you can look it up on YouTube. It's just called Lingus. And there's a, an amazing, I think it's like a 10 minute track that they sort of have. And, and this keyboard player, Corey Henry, takes the breakdown in this song. And the whole band is just losing their minds while they're they're backing him with a bed underneath while he's doing this solo. The the one the keyboard player next to him is like holding his head, almost walking off, going, "What am I listening to?" I mean, they're all <laughs> in the same band, but they're just losing their minds about how incredible. I mean, this video gets passed around a lot by like one of those moments where just one band member goes god mode on everybody. He's he's absolutely incredible. If you want to look look at that, like those kind of yeah, things, I'll add it to the show notes too. Yeah, I mean th- those kind of things, I absolutely. I love watching that because, and those make me really emotional as well. Like watching them because seeing someone, um, seeing fellow musicians just get their minds blown and celebrate a fellow musician. There's no jealousy. There's no, Oh, you're taking the line that it's like, Oh my gosh, I I absolutely love you. What you're doing right now. It's it's blowing my mind that kind of in it together. Let's, let's, Let's push you to whatever heights we can. Let's drop right back as well. Because musically, you have to, when someone's doing a solo, you have to play obviously a lot less and back them. And backing them means you can't do anything that takes away from the solo that they're doing. And just that sort of camaraderie of we're going we're gonna to celebrate you and let you absolutely shine in this moment. And then an incredible musician doing that and blowing the rest of the band's mind. I love those videos. Those those are kind of yeah. Yeah. secret joys for we, me. We... Um... We just saw uh, the other night, went down to DC and saw Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real. Oh, cool. 
and we'd never seen them before. I know very few songs. I, the most I know about them is that they were Bradley Cooper's backing band in, you know, they were the fictional band that he led in A Star Is Born. Mm-hmm. And Lucas taught him to play guitar and, and worked with him on, you know, stage presence and whatnot. But they were phenomenal. This is, it's one of the best shows I've seen in years. Uh, and for, for many of the same reasons that you're, that you're talking about. Yes, it's billed as Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real, but they were one cohesive unit. He did not stand above anybody else. Everybody had their time in the light. Uh, everybody had an incredible amount of expertise in, in what, they, what they brought to the, 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 the synergy of them as a unit. And man, and, and we didn't know any of the songs and we are just, you know, gobsmacked sitting there watching these guys play as, as such a tight, you know, well-oiled machine. It was, uh, man, it was just such a good show. Mm. Such a good show. That's we thought good. they were going to, they, they, it was funny. They, they, they stopped at about an hour 15 or so and they, and they left the stage and we thought, oh, okay, well, kind of a short show, but okay, really good. You know, those songs. Mm. And, uh. They came back out and we thought, okay, going to do a few, few more as an encore. No, no, no. It was just a set break. They did like 12 more songs. They did a whole other set oh, after cool. that. Yeah, they just yeah. kept one after another, after another. And man, it was just this onslaught of, you know, sort of virtuosity at their respective instruments. Fantastic. Love it. There was, there was one I saw just today in the same kind of vein, which was, uh, it's the, I think it's the latest season of The Voice. And, um, there's a woman on there who's, who's saying like, I, I absolute chills listening to this woman sing. Um, she sings an Aretha Franklin song. I can't remember what it is. I mean, you, you want to touch Aretha Franklin stuff, you better know what you're doing, but she yeah. absolutely, yeah. <laughs> you better bring that. <laughs> yeah, she absolutely kills it. I mean, like just really just jaw to the floor. Oh my gosh. What did I just listen to? And, wow. and the judges are um, Ariana Grande, who is no slouch. Um, John Legend, who's, who's like maybe the coolest person on the planet. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Kelly Clarkson, who also no vocal slouch. Um, uh, or what's the country guy's name? Do you know who I'm talking about? Anyway. Um, uh, is he the, the, the guy who's married to Gwen Stefani? Yes. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blade, Blake, Blake, Blake Shelton, Blake Blake Shelton. Shelton. You nailed it. There you go. Um, but just watching their reactions to this woman like they absolutely lose their minds these judges like they're on their feet like john legends in church immediately like he's like he's just waving his arm oh my gosh it's incredible like like ariana grande and like kelly clarkson's jaws are both on the floor and and i I just love that i love i love i love generosity from fellow musicians i think is is what i like because i mean i mean the cynical part of me would say they could be sitting there going i'm supposed to be you know, the platinum selling female vocalist who just destroys everybody. Maybe I shouldn't right. celebrate this too much because this person is going to be seen. Oh, lots of people can actually do what I do, but they, they just don't at all because they're just in it. And they're like, this is amazing. And they probably can't help themselves, but celebrate it in the moment. And I, I love musicians celebrating other musicians. And it's, it's not just that. I love photographers who celebrate other photographers. I love filmmakers who celebrate other filmmakers that completely unthreatened, if something's good, I'm going to tell you yeah. thing camaraderie between people who do the same thing, which I think, I think is why we don't like the internet because the internet's often the opposite of that. It's often people trying to pull each other down and criticize each other because they do the same thing and they're threatened. And that kind of very, 
that kind of very small petty mentality that people who have who often do the same thing those kind of middling people who are getting a little bit good you know your middle management photographers who like are, are getting getting a, i love that phrase like who who are getting a little bit of skills but they're now threatened because they want to be the best who go around pulling everyone else down it's that very kind of stingy opposite of generous feeling when you see people at the very top of their game going oh my gosh that person just did something incredible. It it really, I find it really, really moving. I love that attitude. Yeah, and that's same. for me, I've, I always want to be that. I don't care where I am on any kind of scale. If I see something good, I always want to be the first person to go and champion that and say, that's brilliant. It's the same thing I do, but it's better. And I love it. You know, mm. that's because that feels like a good person to be. Um, Absolutely. People like that yeah. model that stuff for me. It's, it's, it's do you Do you know uh, Jason Momoa? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. So er- I everything I see big. about this, <laughs> do what? I want to be him when I'm big. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, well, I don't think you'll ever be that big. He's huge. Yeah, well, <laughs> he's a well, big, big try. man. I could try. <laughs> everything I see about this guy mm-hmm. makes me kind of love him more. And I was showing Adrian, there's a, uh, a video and I'll put it in the show notes of him talking about what a thrill it was for him to be in Dune. Yes. And how how it was an entertainment tonight thing and how, you know, Denis called him, he was at Sundance and Denis called him and, and basically laid out the whole movie for him and offered him the part of, you know, sort of pitched him the part of, of Duncan Idaho. And, and he was talking about getting on set and that moment when, if, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but when, when Javier Bardem walks in as Stilgar and just stares down everybody and goosebumps he's talking about just watching this guy a master of his craft at work and seeing him with Brolin across there and knowing what they've done together and he's like I'm thinking any moment they're going to yell cut and Denny's going to be I I think maybe we have the wrong person for the you know for your part and want to recast him and and just the the absolute joy for movie making and and the gratitude that he expresses for being able to live the life that he does and work with the caliber of people that he does and then take that and pay it forward. You know, I, I saw another video with him where a, a buddy of his is a, uh, a shoe designer who started designing like skate shoes, skateboard shoes, mm-hmm. and, and now is, has moved into these skate inspired higher end shoes. And so Jason bought a pair of everything he makes and was unboxing them on, on camera and every, every other, you know, time he's unboxing things, he's like, I'm so proud of you. I'm just so proud of you for doing this, man. These are so great. I can't believe you're doing this. I'm so proud of the work that you're doing, you know, and he's done this for, for a number of his friends, lifting them up and, and using his position to raise other people to raise the awareness of some of the other people that he finds interesting and inspiring. And I just think that is, that is so cool. And it makes me like him even more every time I see him. Yeah. And, and like you said, that, that I've, I think I've seen a couple of the same interviews, just his absolute respect for his fellow actors. I mean, he's Aquaman for crying out loud. He's, he's, he's not a small time actor. And yet he's like, oh my gosh, I get to be in a movie with these people. And it's genuine. It's not for the cameras. Yeah. It's not to make him look good in an interview. He's a kid in a candy store and can't believe his luck. And yet he's absolutely a ninja at what he does. I love that kind of humility. And I think, it, I think it makes probably what he does so much more enjoyable because somebody else who does see it as a competition, it's that, it's that Roosevelt quote, isn't it? Like, like um, comparison is the thief of joy. He, he's mm-hmm. never going to have the joy for his craft 
robbed from him because it's not a competition for him. He loves every minute of it. He celebrates what the people around him are doing and he thinks it's amazing and he doesn't see it as taking away from what he's doing at all. It only adds to it. So he can just, I mean, he was talking in another interview about, you know, every time I came on set, I tried to bring a good energy to lift the crew up. I'm like, yeah, gosh, compared to some actors who storm on set grumpy faced and then have a tantrum because the light's in the wrong position. What a, what right, a different right. And attitude. then storm back to their trailer, yeah, insisting exactly, that it be fixed. Hut. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's the guy you want to be, surely, in whatever you're doing. And, and, and it's not because he's small time, because he's huge time. He, he actually posted mm-hmm. a video I watched today. You, you've got to track it down. It's on his YouTube channel, which, by the way, his YouTube channel is amazing because he gets yeah. other people to film them for it with red cameras and everything. Like the production value is brilliant. But he's just put up a little film in the last few days where he tracks down his wife's first car, which was a convertible Mustang. I saw that, that convertible Mustang. Yeah. Yep. And has oh. it all restored. Oh, just beautiful. I mean, how gorgeous. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, just yeah. just is that guy, isn't he? Yeah. Just yeah, I think it's important to have someone like like him that that brings that kind of energy in your orbit. Because I, I if it's not you for your friends, then maybe it's one of your friends for you. Because it it is that sort of rising tide lifts all boats kind of mentality where you know, it, it isn't like you just said, it isn't a competition and 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 we can all kind of do this. You know, he describes a, a a thing in, in this entertainment tonight clip where he, you know, he's like, I got the gig. And, you know, so I, I went over and I brought my buddies on set and we went out in the desert and we filmed a bunch of stuff and I showed it to Denis and, and he ended up liking what we did and being inspired by it. And we went and recreated some of it. And some of those shots ended up in the movie and he's just I've got some shots in this movie. I'm so stoked to be in this movie. I'm so incredibly honored that, you know, there's no play acting at what he's doing. You get the feeling that that's the guy and, and who, who wouldn't want to be around that when you're trying to make, when you're trying to bring something of yourself into the world, who wouldn't want to be around that? There's, it's interesting you say that because I'm, I'm trying to be more deliberate about, about choosing which people I spend time on now. And choosing mm. to only spend time, whether it's personally as as friends in my real life or people online, I don't I don't want to give time anymore to people who approach with that kind of aggressive insecurity. And and yeah. uh, you know I feel I feel I feel a little bad. What because, a great phrase, by the way, aggressive insecurity. Well, it is. I mean, I I, I had a gosh. Let me see if I can find it quick. It's uh, it was. This this is the kind of stuff. I mean, obviously everyone knows you get trolls online, but the last video I posted. Uh, the, I'll read you a comment that, that I have actually, well, I haven't, I haven't, there's a great, there's a great feature on, um, on YouTube, which is hide, hide user comments, which is brilliant. So instead of blocking somebody from your channel, they can post comments, but only you and they can see it. So no one else can see it. In which case that they're, they're not going to get That's the attention. That's got to frustrate people to no end that they can't the see reason, the shit that they spew. It's the only reason they do it is to get the reaction. So I don't respond to them. I just hit hide user and it sits there, but they can't work out why no one's going fighting back or agreeing <laughs> with them. It's hilarious. But this is this, this is the attitude I'm talking about. So I posted a video uh, last weekend, just about uh, this John Mayer quote, this get small and tell the truth uh, mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. which I mentioned in the book. 
So this is the comment this guy posts, and you could feel the anger and sort of attack. He's like, if your photography had any validity, whether it was unique, truthful, original, eye-catching, or even average, then your advice might be of some practical use. But your work is incredibly bland, like millions of other photographers, people with cameras. Most of your photographs are so bad and contrived, it's hard to imagine anyone taking you seriously. Take my advice and stop trying to impose your own philosophy and technique onto others. Take up stamp collecting or some other hobby where you don't need an imagination. If you showed your work to any photo editor at Vogue or National Geographic or Magnum, they would laugh in your face. I can safely say you have absolutely no talent for photography. How you have the audacity and ego to assume you can help others when your work is dire beyond belief. <laughs> and I'm like, why? You know what, Sean? Why would your mom write that kind of thing about well, you? Well, she, she's got an issue with me and we haven't worked it out, but she's... <laughs> She's full of beans. She'd had a glass of wine. You can't think what you do. Mrs. Mrs. Tucker, please take that back. Just You're hurting out, Sean's Mom. feelings. Just chill out. But it's, <laughs> there's it's room like, for all of us. It, now, now you put that like like that. Hopefully, feels like like a really jarring thing after talking about someone who's actually brilliant at what they do and incredibly generous, like a Jason Momoa, to an anonymous guy posting an, a, an aggressively insecure comment on, on, on a YouTube channel and they refuse to show their own work because they probably aren't very good. Like those are the two human, I mean, obviously those are, those are the opposite ends of the spectrum. There's a lot in between. But I've just decided like if, if there's a middle point of that spectrum, I'm going to stick to... to filling my life with people who model what someone like a Jason Momoa models yeah. and, and cutting people like that out. And that's in real life or online or anything else. They don't get my energy. They don't get my thoughts. They don't get any oxygen from me at all. And because I want to be like the other end of the spectrum more, which means I have to, you, you become who you surround yourself with or some, some amalgam of that. And I think it's really important to get deliberate about that stuff. And, and not let well, the it, other side. I have questions, frankly, Sean. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, what to 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 this person? If if he or she happens to find this and listen to it, mm. if there is so much sort of hatred and and vitriol directed towards you, why not just unsubscribe and never subject yourself to seeing any of it ever again, rather than taking that other direction and and writing a, 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 a an angry and and you know purposefully hurtful email because, or, or comment rather because it's genuinely not about me it's about it's about him it's about he's angry that he's not getting what he thinks he deserves he's really annoyed that anyone is paying attention to me and not him and so he has to tell me but he can't say that because that's too vulnerable to say so he has to he has to come up with some argument where where I'm a, I'm a talentless, awful photographer and why would anyone listen to me? Well, the fact is they do listen. So, so, so that, that says something. And, and the fact is that I don't think I'm an amazing photographer. I think I'm a serviceable photographer who's getting better every day. I, I don't, I, you're right. I don't think National Geographic or Magnum or anyone would be super impressed with my portfolio, but I'm fine with that. So you're not hurting my feelings with any of that. But this is definitely about about him and not about me. And that's why I say like aggressive insecurity. It's that like, he is, he's insecure about himself and, and what he's not getting and what he sees me getting that he wants. And so he's going to get aggressive with me because he doesn't know how else to talk about it. It, it doesn't, yeah. it, what else can he do? Like, he's not going to sit at home and feel sad about it because unfortunately this is, this is the curse of a lot of men. Those of us who are 
emotionally stupid who don't know how to how to work out why we're feeling something often turn to anger and then we need to point that right. at somebody we never get angry at ourselves we blame somebody else so he hasn't thought it through or come up with a very good argument he's just gone you're rubbish why are people listening to you i'm like well i can't answer that i don't i don't tell them to i just put stuff out into right. the world so i can't, aunt, yeah, I can't yeah, apologize. I i'm paying it's, them a yeah, great exactly. deal of money it's not my fault if you're genuinely asking it's a dumb question to ask if yeah. you're telling me you don't like you my don't subscribe to my channel i subscribe to you as a commenter that's how that's yeah. how i get all of this it's like well answer it for yourself <laughs> why are you here talking to me because i didn't ask right. you here personally i don't know you so why are you it's it doesn't it doesn't make any sense what he's doing it's all about him but the but the important thing about that is like to to always be honest about the fact that i could be this guy or jason momoa in, within myself because we've all got both in us and, and it's constantly choosing one and not the other and i'm never going to be that guy, I mean, I've never left a comment like that on somebody else's and never would. Uh, I've never left right. a negative comment on somebody else's work because I don't see the point, honestly. But but I I do have the 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 temptation every now and again to start thinking like that to myself, mm. going like, why yeah, does yeah, that yeah. person get that attention? It really annoys me. And that's when I have to call myself because whether I say it out loud or follow through on a comment or just thinking in my own head, I'm feeding, it's like, it's like that, is it a Native American proverb about which wolf wins at the end of the day? It's whichever one you feed more. Um, right, 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 right. And it's like, which wolf am I going to feed? Because they're both in there. I've got a mower in me. <laughs> I do. And I've got, <laughs> I've got a troll in me. So which am I going to be? Am I going to be that generous celebrating other people's work uh, or am I going to be that I'm, I'm angry because I feel entitled to something I'm not getting and find someone to blame. And I have to be hyper aware every day of which attitude is, is surfacing its head and doing the right thing with it. Mm -hmm. It's, it's interesting though. I mean, that comment there, there's no curiosity in it. You know, there's no even like, Hey, I'm a mediocre photographer too. How are you doing this? I'm not getting the same kind of traction that you are. What, what am I doing wrong? Like there's no, there's no, there's no humility opening for a conversation. There's no, you know, uh, curiosity. There's, it's just tearing down. It's just, yeah, it's anger. Well, if I'm so, if I'm so shit, why are you, why are you giving it? Okay. If you know that I'm a shit photographer, then this can't be the first time you've seen my photography. So obviously you've spent a pretty decent amount of time in front of my work to, to, to glean this, this, you know, insightful, you know, wisdom that you seem to, to have. So I, uh, I just don't understand it. Well, I, I've always had this fantasy about, and it might happen one day in real life, but just giving a talk somewhere and having a real life troll in the audience who stands up during the questions and starts having a go. I will invite that person on stage sometime in my life and have an actual conversation with somebody in front of an audience because I can't imagine it will work in real life. I can't imagine they could it doesn't sustain seem that. To. They, they yeah. won't be able to keep that conversation going because it will quickly look ridiculous. It only works with the anonymity of the internet where you don't have to face the reactions from a room full of people go, or, or realize what you're actually saying because you don't really have much of a point. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. And I think the minute you do that in front of flesh and blood faces, that's when it, it's kind of all crumbles pretty quickly, I would imagine. But I'd love to test it one day. I think it'd be really interesting. We should, we should go on tour. Oh, we are going on tour. It's going to happen. I told, I told you. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you get the part, find it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's funny. I mean, and you, and you get, you get some really 
harsh comments, not just, not just a, a one and done, like, man, I just don't get how, how, you know, whatever it is, they're, they're purposefully hurtful. They're not just indifferent. They're not just dismissive. They're not even snarky. They're, they're intentionally hurtful and, and seemingly pretty well thought out. I mean, that's, that's quite a bit of writing to do. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh no, he, you he's know, worked on it. Yeah. He's worked on it. I mean, I, I wonder yeah, I, mm, some well-crafted mm, hate there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> How many drafts did there? Yeah, did oh, there would have been. He's going to like, oh, this is gonna, <laughs> this is going to nail him, and the comment section yeah. is going, yeah, he's right. Yeah, we're all on this guy's side. You are rubbish. Why are we all here? And they're, all, I'm going to lead them all out with a with a torch and pitchforks. And right. you're not though. Right, you're he's, he's going to be like land. the Pied Piper, yeah. the Pied Piper of hatred. He's going to empty my YouTube channel because he's going to lift the veil <laughs> right. on how rubbish I am, and everyone's going to realize that this anonymous commentator who won't show his own work, and we don't know who he is, is like made us see the light about how crap Sean Tucker is. I'm like, what do you think right. is going to happen? Really? I mean, oh, it's uh, it's it's a little bit tragic. Like, I I don't. I, I genuinely feel for people like that because you can feel the anger. So he's hurting. I don't know. I don't know his particulars or why, but he's he's angry, and that's that that for guys doesn't mean angry. It always means afraid or upset. That's what that yeah. actually means. And I'm I'm really sorry. I I can't I can't claim that that because I didn't take a perfect photograph today, I've hurt somebody on the other side of the world that I don't know like the quality of my photography actually emotionally affects other people because that's not true. Right. It's about you, Sunshine. And like, what do we do about that? Well, I don't know. I can't help you. You're going to have to admit that to yourself at some point. And I think, I think the reason, and I get a lot less of that than I used to, I have to say. But I think, I think, I think people like me really annoy a particular sort of male because I, I, and I'm not the only one who does it. There's lots of us who do, but, but we try and offer more vulnerability than most in the things that we say. And that really Mm. threatens a particular brand of male, I think, who doesn't like that. And especially doesn't like the fact that that gets positive attention because they don't know how to do that. And that's why they jump straight to anger and they want to attack that because we're not having that. We're squashing that. Um, right. And, and, and you know, those people, when you meet them in real life, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones who are Suck it up, man. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of mentality. You know, if you, if you, if you kind of bare your soul a little bit, we need to, we need to be attacked. We need to be called names because, right. Cause I, I'm a real man. This isn't real manliness. And I, I really don't like the fact that this person's getting attention from, from the comments I get, there's definitely that tone to a lot of, a lot of the stuff that comes across, um, which is fine. I mean, that's not my emotional issue. I'm comfortable with who I am. So it's okay. Do you th- think or maybe it's not even, it hasn't even crossed your mind, but do you think there is a danger of feeding the wrong wolf when you embark on this new project? Because it is so much more personal and so much more important if you get that kind of commentary as you're, as you're sort of making your way through it. Will you take those comments to heart a little deeper because it's more personal work or are you, are you able to keep them at bay regardless, because you, you know, kind of where it's coming from. You know what it's with this new project, actually I'll care less in a way because really what I'm, what I'm doing with this project is, is not for the internet. So Mm. it's, it's, it's like, it's a personal project. It's a proper long-term personal project that is for people who know what proper photography is. 
and what proper mm-hmm. projects are. And that's not Instagram. So these images I'm making or starting to make now will never see Instagram. Well, they, they will, but only when the project's out and done kind of thing. Like it's not for those kind of people. And I don't think pe- the general person on, on Instagram will get it. And I don't want them to get it because it's not for them. So I really couldn't care less. Th- th- this will be where I take criticism from people in the know only. And that's all I care about. And that's who I'm trying to not, not impress, but that's where I'm trying to get like a nod of, yeah, you're on the right track. Uh, I, I, I care a lot less about it. When I put something on Instagram, even though a lot of it is kind of play and the rest of it, I, I, I would care more about that stuff. People going, oh, this is kind of rubbish because that's where I'm posting it. And that is where I'm getting feedback. This, this is not for Instagram. So yeah, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't care mm-hmm. less what Joe blogs who picked up a camera over Christmas thinks about it. It's not interesting to me. It's, it's what yeah. a gallery might think about it or, or photographers who've also done long-term projects think about it or publishers think about it, that those are the only people I'll listen to um, because that, that's the target after this. Or people who, who know about the subject matter of the project, what they think about it, and they might not be photographers. It might have nothing to do with photography for them. Those are the people whose opinions I care about and everyone else is, is literally just noise for this one. If you're enjoying Deep Natter and haven't yet subscribed, I'd love it if you'd consider subscribing to Jeffrey Sidoris' Everything in your favorite podcast app. Not only will you get every episode of Deep Natter, you'll also get process-driven, one-off conversations like my recent chat with Bill Wadman, and everything else I release all in one feed. If you'd like to support any of the shows to help other people find them, you can leave a review or a rating wherever you listen or share them on social media. Connect with Sean on Twitter or Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at SeanTucker.Photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S or on my website at JeffreySidoris.com. As always, thank you very much for spending some time with us. We appreciate you listening and we hope you'll come back for the next one.